Today on the Vergecast, new Android phones, new Android software, the fight between social media apps, and of course, the gadget news from this week. That's coming up right after this. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of incremental innovation and electron wrappers for web apps. Today, we're talking about JavaScript. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do that. I mean, most days we do, in a roundabout way, discuss JavaScript, I think. But this is not the show for you if you're a JavaScript enthusiast. I will tell you that right now. I make no bones about it. Anyway, I'm your friend, Eli. Alex Kranz is here. I'm your friend who just loves Pearl. <laughs> Very good. My favorite. Yeah, you're in, it's great. You're just doing. You're just doing the command line. You're in there. Yeah. David Pierce is here. Yeah, I'm definitely your friend who is going to like give you a long speech about low code and no code, uh, <laughs> and then try to convince you to optimize all of the apps in your life to the point where everything immediately breaks. That's my job. My first email client was in a was in a terminal, like a Unix terminal. It was pretty good. I missed those days. So it's called Pine. I don't huh? know if you remember this, I might be the one old. And every now and again, feel like I a think- hacker every time you checked your email. Well, no, because it was uh, it was at school, like in college, and they they just had a bunch of Mac classics at the entryway of the dorm, and everyone stood in a line to log into their their like shell account to check their email in Pine, just because we didn't have computers yet. Typing the I then I rode my steam engine uphill both ways to college. <laughs> when you describe that, it sounds like like in in movies when they show like the line of people in prison waiting to make phone calls. Like that's that's basically what you just described. Yeah, it was uh, it was a different time, and at no point did we think that democracy would be imperiled by our <laughs> command line email clients. Uh, and things have changed. It's fine. Simpler it's, times. Uh, here we are now, coming to you live over the internet. See, it's a thing. Everything's are improved. Democracy in peril. The Verge Cast. You got to take the good with the bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, lots to talk about this week. Uh, Android 13 came out for Pixel phones. A lot of people refreshing eagerly. Uh, the brewing war between the vertical scrolling video apps is here. Uh, a bunch of EV news. We got a little bit of lightning round. Let's start with Android. Uh, we had Samsung reviews this week too. The, the Z Fold 4, the Watch 5. Shout out to V for an incredible fake out on the Watch 5 video review. If you haven't so seen it, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But I was Oof. like preparing. To, like I was writing a DM to her being like, this head is wrong. Why are you saying all of this with this head? You can't do this. <laughs> 
yeah. And then I kept watching. I was like, oh, that's why. That's why. They got it. It's fine. Yeah. It's good. Go watch it. It's good. But let's start with it. David, Android 13. It feels like it's like a, like an Android snow leopard. Like they're just getting a lot of stuff right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically right. I mean, A, the funny thing about Android updates is always that it Android updates come out and Google's like, Android 13 is here. 12 of you can download it. Yeah. Because uh, it hardly, like nobody owns Pixels. Mo- most people own Android phones that are on somewhere between like last and six versions of Android ago. Uh, but Android 13 is out for people who want it. It's like, it is, it's a snow leopard thing. They're like, they're doing a bunch of little things. This is kind of where we are with smartphones, right? It's like, it's to give you some more control over like how it looks and what kind of access apps can have. And Android, I will say to its credit, is doing a really good job of starting to like piece things together. And they're like, you can tell your app what language you want it to run in, which photos it should have access to, how it should operate, all these, like, they're just giving people a lot of knobs to fiddle with, which I actually think, like, at this moment in smartphones is a really good idea. Yeah. We should describe what Snow Leopard means. Again, I'm an old head. Uh, steam engine uphill both ways. Uh, all of us Snow were Leopard like, yeah, Snow Leopard. V- Snow Leopard was the best version of what at the time was called Mac OS X. Uh, and they just decided to not do new features for a year and just make it good. And then they immediately were like, and now we're back to weird features and that, <laughs> but it was per, I didn't leave Snow Leopard for three years. I was wow. like, I don't care what you're adding to this operating system. This one's perfect. Uh, and every day that I use this computer, I was like, I miss Snow Leopard. So but think, that's like, we're yeah. in that moment for a lot of software. Um, hilariously, the developers of Madden described it this year's as a Snow Leopard release. <laughs> uh, and it just feels like. Android is in that same place where they're adding things like spatial audio because they need to compete with Apple. They're adding things like uh, more personalization, maybe because they need to compete with Apple, but maybe because there's nothing left to do. Yeah, I will say the one thing I find very exciting about Android 13 is like Google's big theme for the world right now is like putting all of its many pieces together, which we talked about a bunch on the show. And like they're trying to make all their apps and services make more sense together. And so there's this thing now where you can basically stream your messaging apps from your phone to your Chromebook, uh, which I think a is an extremely good idea because like sitting here at my computer and typing on my phone all day to message people is a gigantic pain in the ass that I really am excited for it to go away. But also because it's like, it's just a good idea. And that kind of thing where it's like, I should be able to type on my phone from my computer. And that is like how all of this should work. And I like it very much. And it feels like that's like the start of something very cool. But otherwise, all this stuff is like, yeah, these are good things that are not going to like blow your mind to pieces. Do you think it's like they just really wanted to hunker down and, and improve on like the stuff they have? Or was it the pandemic and the development cycles usually take a while and the pandemic kind of screwed up those development cycles or both? I think it's both in like in a serious way. I just um, I remember Sundar saying to us on the show, kind of the beginning of pandemic, he was like, we're well set up to all work from home and complete our roadmaps. What I'm worried about is the next set of ideas, Yeah, which I think a lot of companies have run into in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But I think they're obviously disrupted and no company is really being loud about how how much its plans were disrupted. But I just also think contextually, if you just look at the state of Android right now, at the same time that Android 13 is arriving, we we have the Galaxy Z Fold 4 running Android 12, right? Like (laughs) the, the, the new most complicated, fanciest Android smartphone is being released at the same time running the old version because that's just where Android is. And then they're running this gigantic campaign about RCS because they know that at least in the United States, 
getting people to believe iMessage and switch to Android is like too hard. So like, what is the value of firing dozens of new features into Android at this moment when switching is really hard and your flagship phone provider is just going to run Bixby all day long? Like, I think they're just in a tough spot. (laughs) Well, and I think that comparison is like, it just strikes me as it's behind all of this stuff right now, right? Like on, on the one hand, the idea that like you can customize the app icons and stuff is like a thing people love on their iPhones that I think Google is very smart to pick up on and sort of keep moving forward. And they're like, we'll automatically change the color scheme of all your icons so that it'll work. But there's also like the when you ask somebody now, like the difference between iOS and Android, they're functionally the same. Android actually like has more features most of the time, but iOS just feels better. Like it, mm-hmm. it just does. Yeah. And I think- now, like Google is pushing really hard on this idea of like, what if we make Android feel better? And and there's all this little stuff that that entails. Like, I think we were talking on this show about the the magical thing where you can copy text from one device and paste it onto yeah. another with Apple. And like now Android does that. Uh, or I guess soon it will do that if you have two devices that are updated, <laughs> which you won't. But like you get the idea. <laughs> but I think like that kind of stuff is like, I think Google is absolutely right to say, Let's not build insane new stuff that almost no one is going to use. Let's like make Android feel better. And I think that is like, that's how you get to where Apple is. And then if you can solve RCS, then you might actually be able to convince people to switch. Do you feel like we've had this conversation uh, every year for the past five years? Because I feel like we could just do a clip show about that and just rerun (laughs) ourselves saying Google is focused. Do you remember Project Butter? This is a company that once announced an entire initiative <laughs> called Project Butter that was designed to make Android smoother. Oh, it kind of worked. Uh, it worked for a number of reasons. One, I remembered that it was called Project Butter. Branding achieved. <laughs> uh, two, two, like, yes, Android improved. But like, it just feels like that's the gap. And I don't know that Google has meaningfully closed it on these phones. And it, then you've just got, well, what is the reality of Android in this country? At least it's all of the Android phones are sold by Samsung. Yes. So then someone else comes in and like does whatever they want with Android. Samsung phones are smooth in their way. It's not that they're not, they're just smooth in like Samsung's way, which is a lot of trying to redirect you into a Samsung lifestyle. Get that Bixby. That, Maybe you are not interested in any way, shape, or form. Or it's like, <laughs> sure, carriers can put apps on this phone. Like, there's there's a different experience to that that is just more. The business is in your face more with a Samsung Android phone, especially if you buy it from one of the major carriers. Whereas Apple, to its credit, is just like their business is in your face all the time, but like they manage to hide it better. I don't know. Apple is like, and there was some news about this this week that Apple is now preparing to put more ads in more of its apps and search results and stuff like that. And it's like, they're kind of creeping towards each other, right? Like Google is getting a little cleaner and a little simple, simpler. Samsung even has really pulled back over the last couple of years to the point where like, like I used to hate Samsung's UI choices. And my recommendation was always like run away from Samsung software as fast as you can buy its hardware and do some weird stuff and install launchers. And now like Samsung software is good. And it's like, yeah, you're starting to see the business of Apple a little more as Android is starting to move. They're just moving towards each other in this really interesting, not necessarily great way all the time. Well, it's also interesting yeah. that Apple's like hardware lineup is getting more fragmented, whereas like Google's been dealing with fragmentation for a decade now. They they know how to deal with it. And Apple's like, oh, I got to figure this out. I guess we got to like slow down sometimes. <laughs> 
You want old software? We got old software. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty generous on Google having figured it out. I mean, they have in the sense yeah, that they, like, they definitely disaggregated have. like place services from Android and they are better at updates and they've signed more aggressive deals to force the updates yeah. to, to happen. But really the solution to Android fragmentation is that Samsung won the market. Yeah. And so like it's not that fragmented. <laughs> Right, but like <laughs> they've they've had to deal with the challenge and like think about that challenge in a way that Apple really hasn't had to like ever in its phone market, right? Like Apple's never had to think about fragmentation, and now it's got what six different screens or something that it's got yeah, to think and then about. they're they're gonna delay iPad OS or yeah. so we have heard. Um, by the way, rumors that uh, I iPhone event or some event uh, we're assuming iPhones usually in September. Um, first part of September. It's going to be Mark a HomePod event. Yeah, September 7th, I think, is the date Mark Gurman reported. It's all HomePods uh, and Apple TVs. Get excited. If it's, I mean, I would go to that event with bells on. I would <laughs> literally be like, I'm here. I'm the most, most plugged in person in this event. Let's talk Apple TV the whole time. No one Three, else. Hit me, Craig. And it would just be me, like alone in the field, looking at the giant screen, being like, come on. <laughs> Did you make a TV? Uh, I'd be like, and then it's just Tim Cook coming on stage and be like, no. No. And then he leaves. Hi, Neelai. Uh, I would go to that event. Like, it's time to change events. What if instead of holding product launches, they just get one person who wants something really badly and then the CEO of the company just denies that person what they want? It's would, really I close lot, to the you mic. You get more coverage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tech companies disappointing one person at a time. That's our new event strategy. I think it'll go really well. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the Samsung phones, reviews are hitting. So uh, Allison reviewed the Z Fold 4. V reviewed the Galaxy Watch 5. Let's start with the Z Fold 4. Uh, Allison's like pretty into this phone. It's very expensive, but she's like, this is the most gadgety gadget you can get, and you won't be disappointed with it. The camera is improved. The Android tablet ecosystem is still whatever it is, but... I think we were saying this last week, like they've just arrived at a, they've iterated their way to a workable folding phone. I think the camera thing is super exciting here, actually, because that has been, because like if you're going to buy a fold, you kind of get into the fold knowing what you're getting into, right? Like it's going to be a little more fragile. It's going to be a little bigger. So you're like, it's very hard to buy that phone and not sort of understand those trade-offs. But the idea that you're spending all this money and getting a worse phone than Samsung's other, or worse cameras rather than Samsung's other high-end phones sucks uh but now like <laughs> you kind of get the feeling that like samsung now has sort of done all that it can right and it's it's still a little big it's still a little fragile but like that just is where we are in like science and materials chemistry uh android app are still bad for big screens you just can't get good tablet apps for most android apps yeah but otherwise samsung's kind of putting its best feet forward here, which I find super exciting. It's still $1,800, but it's like, it's a very good phone that also turns into a tablet. And that's like about all you can ask for right now. I, I like think. how thorough Allison was in this review. Like she tested the flex mode. She did it. She put it in the stupid. She did it. She, she put well, it she heard mode. us talking about tent mode on the show. Yeah. She's like, all right, the people demand tent the people. mode. My bosses demand that I <laughs> test it in flex mode. I don't mode. think that's what happened. That's not what happened, she no. listens to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, she's in it. I mean, like, you know, the Samsung has done a number of things with this phone that are legitimately the future of phones, right? Yeah. Folding or not, right? Yep. The huge pixel bin sensor has been the future for a minute, but they've refined it to a place where it, it works really well. The under display camera is still a little weird, but it works really well. Like, you don't it see works it. pretty well. 
Allison's yeah. description of it was very funny to me. She described it as the the visual aura that you get right before you get a migraine headache, which is like <laughs> not what you want to hear from your selfie camera. But as an underscreen camera is like it, she kind of landed on like it does the job, right? Like it's fine. And there are also 40,000 other cameras on this thing that you can turn towards you in various ways. So it'll be fine. But yeah, I agree. That's the kind of thing that like give it a couple of years and that's what all front facing cameras are going to look like. Yeah. And I, at Samsung is just historically good at, Throwing things at the wall and then slowly iterating them into until Apple steals them and pretends they invented them. And like, <laughs> you know, it's true. Yep. Uh, and like, I, I just think this this phone four versions in is I keep saying this. I don't know. I don't even know if it's true anymore because the software and the ecosystem lock ins are so hard. But if you just want like a new gadget, I can't think of a better gadget at this point in time. And I, I've been saying things like phones are the worst gadgets for like five years, like go buy a new TV or upgrade your soundboard. Like that'll make you happy. And then we're looking at all of the sales from all those companies. And it's like, oh, everyone did that already. <laughs> all right, it's time to find a new category of gadgets. It's like, it's folding phones. Like they're here at the right time. You think it's, you think it's folding phones and not like the Steam Deck and those kind of like little game consoles? I mean, I know how you and Sean feel. Yeah, we're Sean. Get him on. Get him on the line, Liam. <laughs> Call him Can up. you pair Nintendo's Joy Cons to the Fold Four? Because there, there it is. Ooh. There's your magical gadget. Right and then, there. like, just get a 3D yeah. print a little case for it, slot it in, make your own Switch. Yeah, I think the, the Steam Deck is a great. Gadget. I actually sure. have something I need to go do. Sorry, gotta go do this. <laughs> Somebody get me a 3D printer. <laughs> Well, I, I think the Steam Deck is like a great category of gadget. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you. I just think it's one of those gadgets where you can screw with it, but at some point you, the gadget, playing with the gadget element of it recedes because you just end up playing a video game. Right. Yep. Which is great and fine and fair. But if you're in gadgets for the messing with the gadget element of it, I think the Fold is a superior gadget. Does that make any sense? Yes. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I disagree. It also just gives you yes. more to do. Like. <laughs> But but like at the end of the day with any any game console, yeah. the point is to play video games. Right. That's true. Unless but it's you like, and Sean and the point is to like buy Steam Deck accessories and then augment the Steam Deck into a full laptop and then run the version. I want, the Steam I want Deck. my Steam Deck to like run Pi Hole, like turn it into a little server. <laughs> just have it do yeah. all the things. Like everything like there's just so many weird things I can do with it. And just mess around with it. And I think it's probably the Linux of it that makes it like supreme gadget yeah. for me. Cause I'm like, it's got Linux. I can just get into Linux. I can just get into the command line. And I can't do that with, with this phone. But also I appreciate that I can take this phone on a plane and like mess with it as a gadget. And I could not do that with a Steam Deck. I would just play video games yeah. with the Steam Deck or I would accidentally break it. Those are my, those are my two. Yeah. I would also point out that I think you could buy all three skews of the steam deck for less than the fold four costs fair enough <laughs> i mean what but is no, it I, I agree like i think and, and i wrote about this when they announced the the z fold four like i think the thing no one has done is make like the case for why this thing needs to exist and to some extent this is like the the like ongoing question about the ipad is like why do you need an ipad and it's like once you have one you like kind of get why it's useful but there's no if you were like i have a laptop and a phone why should i buy an ipad like it's kind of a hard question to answer and i think the same is true for this it's like it's cool to have big screens are good you can watch videos Dan Seifert won't shut up about watching all of the halo tv show in bed <laughs> on his fold like that's all great but uh there's no there's no reason I would like 
tell you to go out of your way and spend, you know, seven or eight hundred extra dollars to buy this phone. But if you do and it's a thing you want, it does feel like infinitely fun to play with in a way that most phones are not fun to play with right now. And this goes back to the Android thing, right? They're just like they're tuning and tweaking and touching. And Samsung is out here just being like, we have some new ideas we don't really know what they are, but let's see what happens. Yeah. Like, kudos. I will say that after we talked about the Z Flip last week, the number of people who hit us up to say that they see flips in the wild oh my is God. very high. Our thesis is correct. I got on a train like three hours after we recorded, and the two people sitting closest to me both had Z Flips. It blew my – it was like a sign from the universe that was like, yeah. David, people use these phones. <laughs> All right. I hear you. Understood. We're like, I've heard about this move called the scroll and flip. <laughs> and I want you to take it very seriously. I, I mean, taught everyone. Can I see your phone? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got a Z Flip review yet to come. I think that is an important one. Um, let's start with the watch for a quick second. So the watch five is out. Like I said, you got to just watch the video because it's an incredible fake out from V. But yeah. it seems like the grand Samsung Google Wear OS experiment is off to an extremely medium start. Yes. That seems yeah. accurate. Like media. Yeah. She she didn't media. hate this watch. Like she didn't outright hate it, but it's still all the promise is not there. They have not delivered on the big whiz bang promises of this collaboration. Instead they've done like well, and there's nice things. There's just a bunch of like really basic stuff that it's like like I, I I have made the case for years and continue to believe strongly that truly the only thing that matters is battery life. Yes. Like you, you can you can add all the stuff you want after you give me a battery that is going to last ideally days, but at least the whole day without ever having to worry about it. And like the fact that Samsung is still not there is a is a real bummer and a big problem, I think. Yeah. And also, I mean the fact that they haven't really changed the design at all. Like I think she said the only only way you can tell the difference between these two is the, the strap colors. That's not great. Sure. <laughs> The purple's uh, nice. I like the purple. The purple's nice. It looks pretty. I saw it in the office the other day when we were there. Uh, it looks very pretty. I miss the physical bezel. What are you going to do? But I, I, there's just this moment for the Android ecosystem where like everything is a two-thirds approach to where Apple is and is going. Like We are expecting in September or October or whenever these Apple events are, like a huge next generation of of smartwatches from Apple, right? The big outdoor watch, the competitor to the Garmin, yeah. the big update, Apple's chip lead is enabling better battery life. Now at this size, if they put out a yep. bigger watch, they can shove a bigger battery in there. That lead just seems like it's getting bigger, not smaller. I think you're a hundred percent right. I think that's right. And, but I do wonder like how much Google actually cares because they, they it, I, mean, I think they care a lot. Then why do they suck so much? <laughs> like, I, yeah, I struggle to think how, if they really care. They put better resources. That's such a good question I, to ask Google about just, so many things. <laughs> oh, you it's care? True. Why do you suck? Uh, <laughs> this is uh, seriously when Max like throws a tantrum. We're like, Max, can you come down? And she's like, I'm trying, and it's like, very adorable, <laughs> and I appreciate it. But it's like, no, but you actually have to do. Yeah, it. you got to do it. That's the point. Oh, <laughs> uh, Google's like a child. But, you know, I th no, that's the big Google. Wait, no, that's the big Google trick. Yeah. Google named itself Google and it put a bunch of colors in its logo. And we think that it's a kindergarten and it's actually like the most ruthless company that you can think of. But because it's called Google, everyone's like, ah, Google. Yeah. And it's like in the background, they're like, and we're knifing you. Like, yeah, but like, like I, they know what they're doing. They know how they make their money. 
they write like search is a huge business for them. YouTube is a huge business for them. They are very good at running those businesses. It's here where they're not in control of their ecosystem that they struggle to find a compelling narrative Mm -hmm. or they struggle to do things like buy HTC and turn the pixel into a competitor to Samsung. And I think I know, I know they care. We know lots and lots of Google. We know one very well in particular. Um, I know they care a lot, but it's, I don't think they have the moves. Like I don't think they can directly produce the products. Like we, maybe that, you know, they've got the pixel, they've announced that there's a pixel watch coming. Maybe those things when they actually take control of their ecosystem will become these competitors. But here where they sign this big deal with Samsung to do wear OS on this watch, like their, their ability to execute like ends. And then Samsung has to take the ball and keep running. And Samsung is not a bad hardware company. We just talked about this phone. Like the, the, Z, the Fold is yeah, a good phone Yeah, they know how to do now. this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Samsung is part it's of the problem It's just like here. for some reason in this category, no one can go. Yeah, I think, I think Samsung is part of the problem because they historically spent years thinking like very much gendering their wearables and being like fitness bands are for ladies and smartwatches are for <laughs> boys and isn't it quaint and cute and so there's a lot of catch up there that they have to figure out and there's a lot of like just their their design philosophy has to catch up and and actually consider apple and not just chase like the ghost of fitbit from 6 years ago well, but it's also the thing i would add to that is Google keeps making the mistake of having an unbelievably short attention span on all of yes. this mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and and like the thing, like to your point about Apple Silicon, Neil, like that is a long term project that is like really only coming to fruition for Apple now. And they've been investing in that forever. Uh, and the idea that Google is just going to decide every six months whether or not to care about making its own (laughs) chips or smartwatches or to care. Like, it just can't make up its mind long enough to get good at this stuff. And so we're basically back at, like, the first and second versions of these things, even though it feels like they've tried them a million times before. So, like, my expectations for the Pixel Watch are super low because this is functionally, like, the first ever Google smartwatch, even though it isn't. But it's like, you don't, at least from what I've seen in a lot of this product development, like you, you can't start, stop, and then pick up where you left off. Like it actually doesn't work like that. You end up effectively starting over every time. And so Google yeah. just keeps shooting itself in the foot. Here. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I think most, most clearly in tablets, right? Where yes. <laughs> Apple spent however long just insisting that the iPad was the future of all computing. And then to slowly realize that people like their laptops and turn the iPad into an expensive laptop. Sure. Uh, but they kept at it, right? They were like, this is what we're doing. We've made this bet. We're going to keep going with it. It helps if people bought a lot of iPads along the way. But Google made the same bet, made the same noise. I was there at CES when they announced Android Honeycomb on the Motorola Zyborg or whatever yeah. it was called. Like, I've we lived through it all together as a family. Um, and then they dropped it. They're like, no one's buying these. No one cares. Like goodbye. And they let Motorola and Lenovo and Samsung keep putting out $200 Android tablets, mostly for people to use as other content consumption devices or for people to give to their kids. Right. Like that became that market. Like here's a thing you can break. And then they realized that foldables were going to be big literally. And they're like, we got to be good at tablets again. They've announced a new tablet project. And it's like, well, if you just kept your eye on the ball, and made some incremental improvements, you'd be way farther ahead than where you are right now. And like, I don't know if that's quite as true with watches, but I do know that they keep, they've now bought 
big companies that are theoretically good at these products. They bought HTC to make Pixel phones. They bought Fitbit to make wearables. And we just haven't seen the results. And maybe that's because HTC was not competitive and Fitbit was not competitive. And I mean, because they don't care. Like, th- it's a huge company. This isn't their primary space. Like, as we said, it's YouTube. It's it's ads. This is a... It's YouTube and search. Yeah, yeah this is, like, this is very much like a side project for them. And until it really shows returns and shows a reason for investment, it's never going to be an investment. But it ends up being that chicken and egg scenario because it's like, well, you never invested it, so it can never be really successful. Well, yeah, but if it was successful, we'd invest in it. And it's like, oh, all right, so we're just going to argue with each other and, and fart out another like... Sometimes I get a real window into your previous career at a different media company. I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? But no, I think that's right. And I think the other thing is, uh, and we should stop talking about this here in a minute, but I think Google has also uh, been a terrible steward of its ecosystem in this sense, right? Like Google has never for one minute given any Android developer a reason to think, oh, I should really invest in my Wear OS app because yeah. Wear OS basically like ceases to exist once every two years and then comes back as if by magic three years later. And it's the same with large screens. And like Apple just relentlessly told developers for like a decade, tablet apps matter, tablet apps matter, tablet apps matter. And then they eventually got all all got on board. And now Apple has this amazing ecosystem of tablet apps that Google has just never given people a reason to care about. And so when it decides to care, it has to like scramble for six months to try and get everybody on board. And then a year later decides it doesn't care again. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, I would say that I'm not sure that Apple made the, I'm not sure that Apple finished the turn with the watch and apps, right? Like that's fair. Yeah. In many ways, apps on the watch are still, it's better now. This is too reductive. I understand that I'm making a sort of unfair, uh, reductive comment here, but in many ways, apps on the watch are still just remote controls of your phone yes, or yes. extensions of your phone in some other important way. There's, there's, there's a few that are great standalone watch experiences, but like very few and they're very targeted. And on the iPad, it's, you know, some of them are great. Some they are really, really great iPad apps. But then you look at the disparity in the iPad line uh, between the you know $329 iPad and the Pro, and it's like yep. some of those apps are designed for this market, and a lot, and the iPad has a lot of content consumption at the bottom. And it just the fact that I can describe that, and a lot of people listening to this understand what I'm talking about, is a victory for Apple, right? Even if what I'm describing is not a victory in the context of its own application ecosystem or where it got to with developers or replacing the Mac or all this other stuff, it's a victory that there's enough stuff that I can describe how that breaks down. Whereas I don't know that I could describe to you a single Wear OS app that is anything but a remote control of the phone or even describe a single Wear OS app. And I think that's like the problem with Google's like ecosystem. It's a problem, honestly, with the Watch 5 beyond its like battery life. It's that it's more of an imply, it's like a feature phone, a feature watch more than it is like a smartwatch. That's, That's an old debate, right? Like, is this a true computing? What is a computer? Is this watch a computer or is it just a really, really fancy calculator watch? <laughs> it's a feature phone on your wrist. There's someone out there right now freaking out at me that the first generation iPhone was just a feature phone because it couldn't run an open application in the ecosystem. And I want you to know that I love you. Aw. You're my people. <laughs> yeah, we, we all agree with that sentence. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, all right, we should take a break. We got to come back. We're going to talk about the war brewing between vertical video editors. It's a real one. It's hot. We'll be right back.
Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back. We've labeled this segment TikToksagram. It's beautiful. Uh, David, what does that mean in your mind? So we've come to this beautiful place where all the apps are the same. There is just only there is one app, and it is it is a it is a full screen vertical video on your phone. <laughs> and where it comes from and what you do there and what it is is not important. It is it's your phone is just called app now and you open it and it plays video for you and you swipe vertically and that's all that happens. This is the world that we have somehow come to. <laughs> app. I love app. It's just called app. app. Yeah. Apps huge. Would you like to look at app for 5 hours? And I'm like, "Yes, I would. Thank you." Yeah. And the, and the app is like, uh, where, do, where, does the, where do the videos come from? I don't know. It's just anywhere. Yeah. Anything what do you like, dances? I mean, and I'm like, yeah, sure. I feel, like, app it is. I feel like all the sub apps really want you to know where the app's videos come from. Oh, it's so important to them. It's That's very true. important. So uh, we should point out, uh, just a plug, Land of the Giants this week is Alexi talking about the future of Facebook and the discovery engine and the future of the news feed, which is basically Facebook turning Facebook into app. <laughs> but they're calling it the discovery engine uh it's a good plug it's a good episode you should listen to it um so here's the thing about app <laughs> tiktok specifically tiktok if you just zoom back what tiktok is is not so much the experience of viewing tiktoks that's great that's very important it obviously is winning and everyone's scared of it and throwing their hands up and rebooting their apps is tiktok sure that's the consumer side, right? That's the watching TikTok side. The part of TikTok that I think is undercovered, underdiscussed, underreported on is that it is a video editor that like large groups of college students have all learned to use like expert video editors. It like guides you into making kinds of content that very few video editors have ever guided anyone into making. Yeah. And like that piece of TikTok success is fascinating to me. Um, like the duets and uh, responses. What are they called? The split stitches. screen one? The stitches. So duets and stitches, like they have developed a language of video communication on TikTok. And then there are TikTok editing challenges. Like 
you see that TikTok is expressed to its users is as much about creation as it is about consumption. Right. I think that's super cool. I totally agree. I just don't think TikTok invented that. Like, I think I would say if you want to go back and find like a, a house style of vertical video, like Snapchat is the answer. Ooh, not uh, that it was Vine. like. I had no, to. I had to bring it up. Don't talk to me about Vine. Uh, all my favorite TikTok accounts are just old vines and I love it very much, <laughs> but that's a whole separate story. But I think like, and this is part of what, and we should get into some of the news from this week, but I think the the thing that you're getting at that's super interesting to me is that like, we are now in this place where it is just vertical video and everybody's fighting about where it comes from and who sees it and all that stuff. But like the thing they're, I think starting to realize is that like, if we can build the best creation tools, mm-hmm. that's actually one big, huge way to win. And like Snapchat yeah. had the filters and Instagram is starting to build really advanced stuff. And TikTok, like, I think you're right that TikTok has like developed this TikTok did new, it like scale. language of cinema yeah. in a really cool way. Yeah. I'm not, uh, and yeah, and did it in a huge way for sure. But like, if you just step back, like Apple had iMovie, they had clips, dear sweet clips, Aww. which only Dieter Bone ever loved. Aww. I forgot um, about that. Right. They, what Apple had was a creation tool that a lot of people liked. I mean, I was an iMovie kid. Again, Steam Engine, uphill both ways. Um, <laughs> uh, that was me, just like ingesting 8mm footage off a Sony camera on iLink. Remember when Sony tried to rebrand FireWire as iLink? Yes. Let's do an hour on that. I will do um, a whole hour with you, Neil, on that. It's very <laughs> it's upsetting. FireWire 800. What <laughs> happened? One hour of the Vergecast. Um <laughs> Can I just tell you my it and gadget years ago when Apple finally killed Firewire? I made an entire video montage of Firewire ports set to uh, Boys to Men, <laughs> and then this was before TikTok existed because this would have been like a perfect TikTok. So I had to go get AOL's custom video player and be like, I need to upload a video, and they're like, What's the content? And I was like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> did you edit it in iMovie? I don't want you to watch this. Uh-huh. I did. It was great. Oh, you're anyway, right. um, that was the day AOL went out of business. <laughs> they were like, you should leave and start your own website, Neil. <laughs> um, anyhow, but Apple had all these creation tools. It never had a distribution platform. Yeah. Right? right. The, the, the was not, it was just not their thought that connecting creation and distribution would be important. YouTube, famously, is still the best, most lucrative preferred video distribution platform for almost every internet creator. It's got the best revenue. It's got the, the biggest community. Shorts is outperforming the main thing. Shorts, again, is app as expressed by YouTube. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it dropped the ball on the creation side almost completely. Like to be a high-end YouTuber, you have to give in to Adobe Premiere or Final Cut or right. make videos about why Final Cut is actually good. And then you get a million views. Like it's you just end up in a place where YouTube doesn't help you create anything. They're starting to do that in shorts because app, but it's weird that the biggest distribution platform never really cared about the creation element. I think what I am saying TikTok is the winner is they married those two things in a gigantic way. Yeah, totally. Snap and stories with filters did that sort of, but there was no virality associated with snap. TikTok is like virality for days. Plus mm-hmm. this huge creation tool, but well, now you're seeing like the right device too right like they, they put it on the right device they didn't put it on your your computer they put it on your phone which is what most younger people are yeah. using as a computer yeah no i think that's all right it's just funny to me that there's been this, there's been this historic split tiktok collapses the split yeah but now you've got instagram you've got youtube shorts you've got tiktok they've all got these powerful creation tools in them and they are trying to gatekeep the creation tools and lock them to their own distribution because that's where their money is. And historically, 
creation tools have not been wedded to or tied or limited to one distribution platform. Does it ever blow your mind to think about the fact that this is like the wireless carriers not wanting to be dumb pipes, and this is why all the streaming services don't want to play with universal search because they all want you to hang out inside of their apps? Like every industry is the same. (laughs) Some of the nouns change, but everybody is like, everybody makes the same stuff and then goes, oh no, we're the same stuff. How do we make sure people don't think of us as the same as everybody else? And then does this, and this is where we are. And the answer is software restrictions. And it's like, (laughs) and watermarks. (laughs) So, um, and watermarks. So just this week, uh, YouTube shorts, the editor will now put a watermark. If you export out of YouTube shorts and repost and want to take it somewhere else, How could uh, you? Instagram, this is our own social team discovered this, this week. Uh, Instagram has a really powerful green screen tool for real. So they were just using it and then they would export the video and use it for ever other stuff. Uh, and now Instagram just mutes that video. When you export it, it has no audio. Unless this you- is my favorite part is unless you share it first on reels. Yeah. Which is fantastic. They're like, do whatever you want. Just put it on reels first. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I just think that there's something here where the idea of creation tools being locked or tied or limited to distribution is new in the culture, right? It, that's it's meaningfully new because historically, again, the creation tools have never had distribution connected to them and the distribution platforms have never had creation tools connected to them. And now it's like, what if we software lock you into this garden? When do you think they start charging? My suspicion is that people are going to react to this extremely negatively. You don't think yeah. they're going to just charge people? Be like, oh, you want to unlock it? You want to export it wherever? For $2 a month to Instagram, you can do whatever you want with the video you make for us. I don't, I think it would have to be like $400 a month. Like the, the <laughs> lifetime value of the Instagram library getting bigger yeah. is bigger than any dollars that you could pay them as a consumer. Like you just got to do the math, right? Like Instagram is staring down the barrel of a $10 billion TikTok shaped gun. Yeah. How, how are you going to, how are you going to make that up? You can't, it's not $2. Right. And month. they all see each other as super zero sum, which I think is really interesting. Like it, the the idea that these apps are not in a position of being able to like, just sort of let a thousand flowers bloom and be like, you know, there's enough attention for everybody. People are on our app. They are like directly threatened by each other now, which I find yeah. really interesting. And it is like the only conclusion I can draw from that is that they have all begun to understand that these serve the same purpose for the same set of people. And that ultimately only one of them is probably going to win. And everybody kind of thinks it's going to be TikTok. So they are like desperately fighting against that pull away because like if i'm youtube i don't know that i would necessarily feel like i'm existentially threatened by tiktok if i wanted to go do a different thing but now youtube is like no we have to fight with tiktok and they have to take every advantage they can away from tiktok which i think is fascinating so youtube has the big advantage which is it has the best revenue share program for all those platforms for actual creators to make money on platforms no one makes money on tiktok as far as i can tell um, I won't say the dreaded D word here, but there's another very good podcast where I was about uh, to bring Hank it up. Green. Hank Green was so good on Decoder. <laughs> there you go. So and he said a lot of stuff I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, Hank Green's like, no one makes money in TikTok, but that's where the audience is. It's also easier and cheaper for me to get there. And, you know, his feeling is like all of that adds up to his YouTube audience growing and his business doing well. But he also said YouTube shorts is growing faster. And once YouTube flips on the money, which they already can do, they've already built the model. So they don't have to like, go and explain it to the board of directors or model. Like they already have it. 
I think they might win because people will obviously go where the money is. And that's great, but it's not going to solve the like long tail problem of TikTok, which is there are lots of people on TikTok who are not there to make money. Yeah. Right. And they're just having a good time with a cool video editor that happens to be connected to a distribution platform that might make you go viral at any time and deliver you a hundred dollars from the creator's fund. And that's like a good enough incentive program compared to, to YouTube where everyone wants a career as a YouTuber. And that is a different game to play. I just kind of, I was gonna say, I wonder why people, there is this big existential like crisis for a lot of these app makers because Facebook meta at Google, they have like the ad game unlock. They know how to monetize this stuff and make money. And TikTok, does TikTok, is TikTok making money hand over fist? Like, to bring up yes. Vine again, is it going to be they're not sharing Vine? it back to creators. Right. And so, like... No. So, TikTok is a black box. Is it owned by ByteDance? We don't know how ByteDance is doing as a company. Yeah. But all the reporting suggests that TikTok advertising is effective. They're collecting those ad dollars. And, like, the music industry loves TikTok. Yes. And TikTok loves the music industry because if you have, if you are Beyonce's record label and publicist, you're like, these songs are going to go viral this week and TikTok will all but certainly make that happen for you. Yes. And like, that's a, that's a revenue generation. So that's, so like, that's why they're scared. Right. Cause they, the TikTok is the culture, like for better or worse. If you're listening to this, you're like, oh, TikTok, like TikTok drives a massive amount of the culture now. Yes. Because it's ability to generate virality, it's ability yep. to generate trends, and the trends come and go uh, in the blink of an eye. Uh, Rebecca Jennings at Vox has written about this very compellingly. Like you don't, you, you, it's impossible to be a trends reporter anymore because all the trends are happening all the time, and then they go away. Like sea shanties do not say anything about the state of America, <laughs> right? But like for one week, sea shanties were yep. very important to everyone because it just happened, and then it went away. Um, that was a Rebecca piece. You should go read it. It's pretty good. Um, but Instagram isn't that thing anymore. And it used to be. And I think they feel it going away. YouTube, I don't know if it was ever that thing because it was always everything. Yeah. Right? Like when we were covering YouTube stars and like that, that period of YouTube, when we could cover YouTube stars like they were aliens and we were explaining them to the world, like that felt like a thing we were actually doing. Like here's a whole culture you don't see over here on YouTube. Have you heard of Logan Paul? But now they're just like everywhere. You know, like they've they've transitioned into the culture at large and YouTube is still manufacturing some of those moments, but not nearly at the rate of TikTok. And I just think fundamentally, yes, it is a zero sum scheme. You only have so many minutes in the day. And if you want app, TikTok right now is best app. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. Well, and I think what's going to be interesting for me to watch is like the, the upside of shorts for YouTube is that it can then like, I think the, the company closest to sort of being able to wrap all of this together is probably YouTube, right? It has the giant audience. Shorts seems to be taking off. It has the monetization strategy. It's like YouTube is is sort of the end point. Like, even people on TikTok make their TikTok money on YouTube. Like, that's that's where you go to make your money. So, tic- like, YouTube has already solved the hard part of this. Uh, what TikTok has not figured out is how to, like, build home bases for people who do this for a living. And really no one other than YouTube has ever figured this out. And so I think, I mean, Twitch uh, has. like we see all these rumors about TikTok. What's Twitch, that? Twitch figured it out. Twitch figured it out. That's fair. Twitch is like a, a specific niche of the world, but has definitely figured it out. That's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, but I think other than those two, like Facebook never really figured it out. Snapchat hasn't figured it out. TikTok hasn't figured it out. And I think 
like you look at like TikTok music, which I think is is going to be a thing that exists and has been rumored forever, but is them trying to build an endpoint, right? Like you come to TikTok, you go to Link in Bio, and you leave eventually to go make some money for somebody. And TikTok would like to pull more of that back in. And my sense is that's hard, but whether it's harder than getting people to spend three hours just scrolling through videos on your app is going to be like the big question for you too. I mean, I think it is hard because you're seeing like a lot of these, these fandoms for these, these followers and, or these creators and just fandoms in general, you're seeing that, that huge decentralization, like they, they are, there aren't hubs for these people anymore. It is all just word of mouth and, and sharing and, and all these back channels. So I think that's really, really difficult for TikTok, which is why I keep coming back to like, is TikTok built to last? Like, yes, anybody can be really good at like creating the culture for a couple of years. We've seen that again and again and again. Anybody can do Glee was the culture. Glee did not last. Sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. I I do not agree with you. The Glee was the culture. It was unfortunately it was. very much the it's culture. I'm one thousand percent on a podcast with two like musical theater kids, and I just need to tell you that you're wrong about this situation. <laughs> but but there are these things that like it's not true. Regardless of if you agree with Glee, there are these various things that are like this is the center of culture. This is what we all care about, yeah. and and especially for younger people, which is what most of TikTok's audience is. My dad excluded. He like watches it every night. He calls it like his show, his TikToks, and he's like, I get in bed and I watch my TikToks. <laughs> It's like his stories. Oh, I it's love his that. stories. It's great. Oh, no. But like for the most part, it is younger people and and they they do move around very quickly. And this is like it is hard to lock people in right now, lock people to like a specific hub. And so I like I I'm still not sold that TikTok is gonna be this huge behemoth. I think it's doing very, very successful very, very right now. But like I don't see where that long term game is beyond music partnerships and even then we've heard like lizzo doing great traction on tiktok isn't necessarily translating to sales for lizzo so like well nothing translates to sales anymore yeah and that's the other part is like where yeah i just don't know how how long this lasts for them before people get fed up with tiktok tiktok gets canceled by the teens and then they all move on to what discord YouTube. YouTube. They all just, they just come back to YouTube, YouTube and they're like, have you I, heard of this place? I disagree. I think TikTok, TikTok at its current rate is bound to succeed mm. because it is one supported by the Chinese government, yeah. which really wants it to succeed. And actually its biggest ex- existential threat is that the United States government is aware that the Chinese government supports TikTok and might one day just turn it off, which I will remind you uh, that a previous president decided he was just going to do without a plan. Uh, and almost Oracle. sold it to Microsoft. Oracle, go buy this. Hey, you, you got some money? Yes. Do it. Oracle is taking over the TikTok data centers. Like, it's a weird deal over at TikTok land. That really is a wild, like, sliding doors moment. Like, just to totally derail this just for one quick second. Like, imagining what this, like, August of 2022 would be like if Oracle or Microsoft owned TikTok and, like, the culture had changed <laughs> around that for the last two years is, like... Like, I, we're going to do a 10th anniversary, like, science fiction in reverse, like, what if Microsoft owned TikTok thing? <laughs> and I'm I'm already excited about it. Um, I will remind you that uh, Sachin Adele, I think it was at the Code Conference, was like, that was some of the weirdest conversations I've ever had. <laughs> he was like, we had to be in it, because, like, how could we not try to buy TikTok? But he was like, it was weird. And then it went away. For the best. Weird. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was for the best. Like, I'm not saying that... 
the operation of that version of our government was ever stable or smooth. But sometimes like they, you know, broken clock twice a day, like they're like, TikTok is owned by the Chinese. We should take a harder line about it. Uh, yeah, that might have that might have been the correct. I think that is coming for TikTok much more than Gen Z deciding that what they like is reading long blog posts on Tumblr again, which would be amazing. I would love that if that is the next move. It's but I don't I don't think that's likely. So here's what I wonder about this is like, does this mean that the next thing we're going to get is like a really powerful cross-platform vertical video creation tool that does all these things. Like part of me thinks somewhere Evan Spiegel and the Snap executive team are just like leaning back in their chairs being like, come make stuff with us. We don't watermark. Let's <laughs> let's hang out. Uh, but then I also wonder like, is, is the next phase of this just that everything silos really aggressively? Is it that we all get less confused seeing YouTube watermarks in uh, TikTok and TikTok watermarks in YouTube and nobody actually cares and this isn't really a thing? Or is there a new thing that comes well, out? Well, no, the this? platforms are detecting the watermarks. Oh, that's That's true. the thing. Yeah. So YouTube will detect the TikTok watermark and then downrank, downrank that video. It. Yeah. I love it. So there's just a, again, my thesis here is that creation and distribution have never been so tightly tied together and that imposing the business limits of the distribution platform on the creation tool is bad. Mm-hmm. And that eventually the people who use the creation tools will be frustrated enough to enact some sort of penalty on those platforms. We'll see. But I don't think that the answer is snapping like for four bucks a month, you can use the snap video editor because they have to keep pace with the coolest tools in TikTok. And TikTok's greatest success is adding tools that people then use in like viral recursive conversant ways with one another. And that is... I. They have been better at creating that loop than any of these other platforms. So really the company that should be like licking its chops at this is like Vimeo and the other <laughs> like active creation. I'm serious. Like if if we if Vimeo is like a B2B video white label hosting service now. I don't Yeah, it is now. That's fair. But so okay, so that's the thing. Like who is it then? Then the thing that's gonna happen is somebody is going to like sit above this and it's like you remember the thing when they everybody built like the hoot suites of the <clears> world where it's like you can published to all your social channels in an automated way. And it's not such a disaster to manage a hundred different things. Like that's gotta be coming for vertical video now. Maybe. I don't, well, maybe I, Hootsuite for app. If the Hootsuite people are listening, you can just take that idea. Please, <laughs> please name it Hootsuite for app. Um, we'll, we'll know what happened and we won't be mad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, it's not like there's great upload APIs for these plot. Like these are very restricted platforms in a way that, you know, Twitter for all of its problems has has an API that other people yeah. like when we post stories from our CMS, they just get tweeted automatically because Twitter has built that kind of integration. I don't so know. So this next our, phase, this next phase just sucks for cross-platform creators then. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to get harder and harder. And I, that's what I'm saying. Everybody's got their I little. I think eventually creators are going to say, this is stupid. We don't want to live in your walls because Adobe Premiere is never been gated like this. iMovie is not gated like this. Creation Except tools should not be gated to I figured it out, guys. I figured it out. Synology is going to create a really good <laughs> widget, and everybody's just going to buy At a mass. Synology and upload their videos, <laughs> and you're going to like type in the IP address for the person's house and get your vertical videos. Oh, direct. Direct. Just... 
instead of going fully into the cloud, totally siloed, everybody's going to get fed up and be like, we all have our little Synology TikToks. It's a push video. (laughs) It's going to be great. All right. Do you think Plex can fix this, Alex? Yes. What are your thoughts? They got this. Okay, cool. Have you, have if you they did that, I would be so upset. No. <laughs> I need to. I thought... All right. Well, we're going to take a break. Alex is going to install Plex <laughs> on her Steam Deck. We got some car stuff. We got a lightning round coming up. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we're back. Bunch of car news, but I'm not going to start with deadhead car news. I'm going to start with extremely wonky FCC news because you know how I love some extremely <laughs> wonky FCC news. Okay, the car industry lost a court case this week that is like one of my favorite just dumb conflicts in the world. Wait, like the whole car industry? Does the car industry have like a lawyer? Uh, well, they have an industry group. Oh, so they got wrecked. So, yes, they got wrecked. So, in like the late 90s, like in 1999, the FCC set aside all the spectrum in a 5.9 gigahertz band for something called V2V, vehicle-to-vehicle communications. And then they added V2I, vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, and then to make it all sound cool, they started calling it V2X. Yes. Which is very funny. Sure. So the, the FCC is like, car industry, make the cars safer. Make them all talk to each other. Make them talk to stoplights, right? Solve traffic jams. You won't hit each other. Here's a big chunk of spectrum, like good spectrum, for you to figure this out. I have been to like 5,000 CES demos of V2V and V2I stuff, right? And like car makers would be like, with this new technology, the cars can see through each other. We can predict traffic. We can slow you down. We can see what's happening up on the road. We can make sure you hit all the stoplights perfectly on time. It's here. And then none of it ever ships. But it's just this is like the right idea, right? Like, is, yes. is this just like, OK, because it always I, I've I've spent less time with car people at CES than you have. But even in the like I spent a bunch of time with Qualcomm like four or five years ago and all they talked about was V to V stuff. And it's like, OK, the idea that I don't just have to rely on my phones ca- or on my car's cameras to see everything that's going on. I can actually let my car talk to the other car and to the stoplight and they can all understand what's going on that way. It seems like the right, like in a perfect world, that's how this should work. Right. Yeah. But David, have you considered that these are the same people that make like in car HUDs and, and in car (laughs) computer, like it's the same people that are like, we need a skeuomorphic version of the car so you can turn your lights off and on. Like, of course, 
Yeah, you have to tap on the truck to, 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 to change <laughs> the climate in your truck. Okay, so to be fair, like a tiny <laughs> handful of extremely expensive luxury cars shipped with like VTV radios. Uh, to the 2017 Mercedes-Benz E-Class Ooh. and S-Class, uh, Cadillac CTS in 2017. Okay, three You're cars. just talking to nothing. Yeah, just, just rolling around talking to nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, and then they started... I mean, the, all these names are great. And then, you know, 5G happened. So everyone's like, 5G will do it. And they started calling it cellular V2X or CV2X. Yes. Oh, my God. Nothing resonates with the consumers like CV2X. <laughs> okay. So then 2017, Trump FCC, which was just a wrecking ball of ideas, uh, got rid of a regulation that Obama's FCC had put in saying all the cars needed VTV stuff. Right. How do you get over the hump of no cars having it? You just write the law saying all the cars need to have it. We all need to do it. Cars are going to stop crashing into each other. Not the Trump FCC, which didn't do it. Um, <laughs> to be fair, it had been 17 years. Right. Like they, they set aside this spectrum in 1999. In 2017, nothing is shipping. So our boy, Ajit Pai, is like, screw it. I'm giving a bunch of the spectrum back to unlicensed usage, which is a big trend lately. So maybe we'll have 5.9 gigahertz Wi-Fi now. And you can still keep a little chunk of this for cellular V2X, CV2X. So the automakers and industry groups are like, don't do this. We need it. If we, if you, Wi-Fi will interfere with our radios that don't exist. The Alliance <laughs> for Automotive Innovation uh, promised 5 million cars would have V2V over the next five years, but they wouldn't do it if the FCC gave the spectrum away. Okay, so they file the lawsuit. The lawsuit comes out, and the judge is like, what are you talking about? No intelligent transportation systems have been developed. As of 2020, <laughs> no commercially marketed vehicles used 5.9 gigahertz to provide vehicle safety features. And then he's like, your argument that you need all this spectrum for new technologies is not great. Noting, the petitioners have directed us to no significant developments in the field of yet-to-arrive technologies. <laughs> so good. This is a judge saying, you shit's a vaporware. Yes. <laughs> it makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. The field of yet-to-arrive technologies yeah. is like the, the, the beginning of a book title about vaporware that I would very much read. It's so good. And it's like, this is such a good idea. You guys never shipped it. It was vapor for so long that eventually the United States government was like, we're going to dunk on you a little bit for a while. <laughs> the vapor it's very dissipated. Good. Uh, well, hopefully our Wi-Fi routers get better. Um, and hopefully 5G actually does. It's like they drive robot surgeons to your house in self-driving cars. That, that's what Verizon's ad said. Sure. So, 5G so is V2V like dead now? Like what, what happened? No, because they're, they're, they're supposed to put 5G radios in the cars. Oh, so 5G will fix it. <laughs> they still have a tiny little chunk of this spectrum reserved okay. for that use, but they wanted it all and they, they just didn't use it for 20 years. Yeah. So now it's coming back to unlicensed usage for Wi-Fi, which I think is probably the right decision. Yeah. But it's, it's like, good. use it or lose it, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. 20 years seems like long enough to try to do something functional here. It is very good. Um, other car news, big study, EV owners don't like, the broken chargers and bad charging software. Surprise. Uh, more importantly, <laughs> uh, the Inflation Reduction Act was signed, big climate bill, lots of EV tax credit news in that bill. On the plus side, Tesla gets the credit again. They'd run out. There are only 200,000. So Tesla had run out ages ago. Uh, GM had run out. I think Ford was about to run out. They get it again. 
if the cars are made in North America, if the batteries are made in North America after I think 2024. Um, so that means like the Hyundai Ionic five does not get the credit anymore. It's a hard, it's confusing. Lots of freak outs and like various car forms about when you assign your contract, because if you sign your contract, if you, have, if you have a written contract before the date of the thing, you still get the credit. If you don't, you don't. Andy Hawkins is a great explainer about it. We're just walking through it. Um, the really important piece of the puzzle though, is it's going to push battery manufacturing to the United States because car makers need the batteries made here to get the credits, which I think is important. Um, and the other important piece of the puzzle, because of this written contract requirement, all these like vaporware car pre-orders yes. might go away. Yes. Which I think is super fascinating. Like knock on effect. I don't think anybody was anticipating that this would be the knock on effect. But if you need the contract before, like Lucid is shifting from pre-order reservations to written contracts now because they got to lock in the order to get people right. the credit before the Oh man, passes. they're going to get um, or before the law goes so into effect, it's So if these companies that are like shifting so that they can make sure they get the money don't ship the cars in a timely fashion, can they get the hell sued out of them by the customers? I know. It, it depends on what these these written contracts. Oh, my like. God. That's fine. Right? So the- I mean, not for the car makers, but like for me personally. <laughs> I'm opposed to vaporware. Well, see, the, the, the game around the credits is like it's in a real limbo space right now. Like. The law has passed. No one really knows what it means. There's lots of attempts to figure out what it means, how to get the credits. At the same time, Ford, right, $7,500 credit comes back for them because they're not going to hit the cap anymore. They just raised the price of the truck by $1,000. Cool. Cool. Never mind. I hate this. <laughs> cool. This is terrible. Yeah. Uh, so go read that explainer if you are in the market for a car like me and you can't find a car to buy like me. Uh, it's good. It's very helpful. He, Andy definitely wrote the explainer because I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, thank you, Andy. Um, and then last, we have to call this one out. Uh, Dodge, dear sweet Dodge, part of the FCA Stellantis worldwide conglomerate of car manufacturers. Um, they put out their first EV concept. It's a Charger EV. Sick. It has a fake exhaust sound. Like they were like, muscle car buyers want loud cars. So we've just put speakers in this car that make it make loud sounds. And it's the best. It's the best loud sound. Andy Hawkins, when he wrote about it, said it sounds like a lion getting neutered. And I think that is exactly right. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. It's very it's accurate. Something else. Um, they're calling it a battery electric vehicle exhaust noise. Can you turn it uh, off? It's. I don't know. I think somebody like is testing um, it at 2 a.m. outside my window lately. I think I'm hearing it a lot. The uh, name is called the Fratzonic Chambered Exhaust. No. What? Which can reach 126 decibels, making it as loud as a Hellcat-powered Dodge. <laughs> and am I am I wrong for thinking that an exhaust is not a thing that needs to exist on an electric vehicle? Am I, am I is, crazy? It's just speakers. Okay. I don't know what to tell you. It is not an exhaust. It is just a button marked mega. It is legit just somebody going vroom as they drive down the road. Yep. But with a really good speaker. So instead of flipping up and hitting Nas, you hit the speakers. Uh, And then also, if you've ever driven an EV, you know they don't have transmissions because they're just electric motors. The cool part of driving an EV is like the instant torque at every part of whatever. Dodge decided muscle car buyers need a transmission so they've added a transmission i'm not sure how it works because it's like a confusing idea in an electric car um so we'll see how it works but they've given it a name 
and the name is lowercase e. Yes. R. Well, lowercase e. I love it. And the name is lowercase e, capital letter R, U P T, or erupt. <laughs> no, it's, it's erupt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what no. if it's just like a game? What do you think um, Vin Diesel thinks? That's all I find myself wondering right now. It's like, did, did Vin Diesel get in the driver's seat of one of those and go, this feels right? Like, is that, is that, I just want to know what Vin I Diesel I hope it's in the next Fast and Furious movie. And he's like, it could be louder. And like, part of the movie is them just trying to make it as loud as possible. Well, he gets really good at the, the gear shifting game. I'm just going to read you this last paragraph from the CNBC piece. Uh, Kaniscus, he's the CEO of Dodge. Said some of the design elements and technologies are expected to impact the range of the vehicle, but it's not something Dodge is worried about. And then quote, I don't care. It's badass. It's a muscle car. <laughs> that's right. That's that's, that's what good. muscle car owners feel. Yeah. You gotta no. you gotta hit the mega base button to go five <laughs> five miles on a charge. It's good. I've been thinking that it's it's a real bummer that with electric vehicles the world is gonna get quieter. So I'm really glad Dodge is out here trying to solve that problem for us. <laughs> it's just a concept, no idea when it will ship. I do like the gear shifting thing. That's fun. Like I was just reading a, a story the other day from somebody about like how gear shifting is going away and it's not gonna like it's gonna be a lost art. And these these EV owners, you'll be able to hear them coming. You'll be like, that guy does. Alex, let me ask you straight up. Do you know how to ride a horse? Yes. <laughs> You're from yes. Texas. Are you uh, are you an equestrian of any kind? I mean, I've ridden a horse. I, one time I rode it at Yeah, gallop. I've ridden a horse yeah. too. Would you say you knew how to ride a horse? I feel like it's not hard. You just like get up there. But it's different. That's a no from Alex. Once upon a time, someone was like, <laughs> riding a horse is a lost art. That's just where we are. Like the the American Unicycle Alliance was like these cars the, gonna replace unicycles. The poor unicycle. This also sounds like they're gonna just put a joystick in the middle of the car that does nothing. Yes, but like, yes. that's the best part. Make some rumbly noises every time you move. <laughs> I hope it, it changes the audio. It's, it's gonna make a bunch of people really happy. Yeah. Yes, they're gonna erupt. erupt. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up with the lightning round. Everyone's erupted. It's uh, <laughs> horrible. Lots of stuff in the lightning round, David. What you got? We're definitely getting an explicit tag on this podcast. Uh, I The thing that jumped out to me the most was Snap giving up on the Pixie drone uh, after after just four months. Uh, this thing feels like it just shipped 15 minutes ago because it basically just did. And the it's kind of a sign of the times. Like it's it's a tough economy. Everybody is sort of pulling back and finding ways to cut down on spending and like I don't think anyone thought the the Pixie drone was going to be a huge revenue driver for Snap anytime soon. But if it's indicative of what this next phase is going to look like, where I think a lot of companies are going to pull back on anything that feels sort of extraneous, uh, as a person who likes gadgets and technology and new things, it just kind of makes me sad. And I think we're, we're going to get a lot of companies investing in like a very small number of relatively uninteresting things and trying to figure out how to monetize all the stuff you already use and spending less time in the very near future trying to invent new stuff. And I kind of think that's a bummer. I was never going to buy a Pixie drone, but it's the kind of thing that like, I like that it exists. And I like that Snap is the kind of company that makes this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just a bummer to see it give up so fast. Yeah. I, I think the flip side of that is when the big companies look inward in that way, it just creates a lot of opportunity for other companies to make interesting things and not worry that, you know, we're going to make a camera drone and then like Facebook will make one and kill yeah. us. 
And so I'm hopeful that there's a little bit of that dynamic in the future where you see the smaller companies do interesting things because it's easier to differentiate when you know the big companies are focused on monetizing app. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's I think that's right. And I hope that is true. Uh, but I do think there is a decent chance we're headed into a weird time for hardware. Uh, like supply chain stuff continues to be wonky. Hardware is hard and expensive. There's like people are buying less and less of that stuff. So I, I'm going to be curious to see what the next like 12 to 24 months looks like in terms of interesting new hardware. Yeah. Okay. Here's my lightning round one. It's very good. This is a journalism story at its core, like a perfect journalism story. So there's this platform called Triller, which you probably don't know about. It's a TikTok clone run America. They're doing okay. They like raised a bunch of money. They caught some audience. The D'Amelio's are involved in some way. Do you guys remember when all the TikTok Trump stuff was happening? And there yeah, was and this trailer like, was like, we're, yeah, yeah. Come they were like, TikTok's going to die. We're the new TikTok. Let's go. Yeah. And so that they raised well. a bunch of money at that time. They spent some of that money on Versus, which was a pandemic sensation run by Timbaland and Swiss Beats, who are mega star hip hop. It's producers. still good. I can't, if you don't, if I can't believe I, don't, you that. don't need to. If you're listening to this and you don't know Tim, like go educate yourselves. Um, uh, I mean, they like created the sound of like at least a decade and a half. Um, yeah. So they paid and they had sold Versace. They had licensed it. Like Apple Music was streaming Versace. It was just them calling their famous musician friends together and like they would play their songs at each other and talk yes. shit. And it was great. It was like a it was great. Incredible. It was like it's really fun to watch. Um, so they sold it to Versace. They sold it to Triller. Or they sold, they sold, yeah, they sold Versace to Triller and now they're suing Triller because they say Triller owes them $28 million and never paid. To, to date, defendants Triller have failed and refused to make any payment to Timberland and Swiss Beats for the past two sums, blah, blah, blah. Right? Great. Uh, Triller, this is the journalism story part. So that's very funny because, you know, upstart social platform with no real money forgot to pay the superstar to producers. Funny ass face. So we report on this. We get the lawsuit rather complete. We asked Triller for a statement. So Emma Roth, who's our new team, asked Triller for a statement. They reply from an account that's just like press at Triller.com. Um, and it's like the statement is just on its face, like not like hilarious. We do not wish to air our dirty laundry in the press, but we have paid Swizz and Tim millions in cash and stock. No one has benefited much from Triller to date. Triller helped fuel Versus to new heights, which is just not true. It was already <laughs> at the heights. Like Apple Music is streaming the thing. It's already it, it was already a global cultural phenomenon before Triller showed up. And they said it, we made it a, whatever. Uh, we hope it's just a misunderstanding. So then we have this background policy where we don't now allow unnamed PR people. So we email back. This has to be in the record. She gets an even longer statement, which is like, you can just read it. It's very long. For, it's like randomly capitalized, the whole thing. Um, we think it's a legal shakedown. Uh, they have not delivered any episodes of Versace. We think their lawyers are overzealous. Uh, whatever. It's just like, uh, it's the random capitals are really good. No, no sign, though. They still haven't signed it. It came from a different email address from at Outlook.com. And at the bottom, it just says Ryan. <laughs> Triller co-founder is named Ryan Kavanaugh. So we just like reply, like, is this, is this you? Like, and they just stopped responding. <laughs> so we put up the story. We're like, here's what wow. happened. Like, here's the sourcing. Attribute to what you will. We're trying to transparent about this. Um, so then they responded yesterday uh, with another version of the second statement. 
elevating the amount paid to 55 million. So now they're claiming 55 million. Um, now they're saying this statement can be attributed to our CEO and chairman, Mahi De Silva, which they misspelled. <laughs> which is just what? perfect. You know, like, when you're out having a good time <laughs> and you see you need to respond to the email and you grab your phone and you have to push your drink aside and get it all spelled out, you don't have time to double check the name of your boss. I mean, it's just, it's like the whole time I was like, oh, this is why I have this policy. <laughs> <laughs> like we made all this noise about like having you on the record. It's like, because at the end of the day, it's, it's just someone flailing and I don't know, it's good. Hopefully, Tim and Soyuz get paid. Uh, they're more important to our culture than Triller. That's just, that's my position. <laughs> it's not the position of TheVerge.com, but I'm confident that if you pulled the staff at TheVerge.com and asked them who is more important to the culture, Timbaland and Swiss Beats or Triller, uh, they will agree with me. Yeah, it's pretty strange. I encourage someone to What if they boarding. misunderstand it as Thriller? <laughs> I think trill- Thriller is more important <laughs> to the culture than Triller. <laughs> Name a Michael Jackson song that is less important to the culture than, than Triller, and you, you cannot can't. do it. No, it's impossible. All right. Alex, what you got? Uh, so Jess Weatherbed, who's one of our new news writers, she's based out in the UK. She wrote about the absolute goofiest set of monitors that are just like two monitors stacked on top of each other and they just just close up. And and somebody's just like, Yep, this these two very cheap, crummy monitors, because they're they're both like 1440p, 75 hertz refresh. 300 nits brightness. These are not super, super fancy, nice monitors. But I think like the gimmick is that they're on a cool stand so you can close them at the end of the day and then slowly open them up. And they just crack me up. I just keep looking at like there's a GIF in in this story she wrote and it just keeps the guys just so happy to like just quietly open those monitors and appreciate his monitors. But it's called Geminos. There's two versions. There's Geminos. And there's the Geminos X. Yes. That gives you 1440p. The Geminos is just 1080p at 60 hertz, 250 nits brightness. These are like the $100 monitors that you get when you buy like a Dell desktop from 1998. It's those monitors. And they've just like, I mean, I don't know if it's actually those monitors. Caveat. (laughs) may not be those specific monitors, but it's basically those monitors. Just like, and you just open it up. And I just really appreciate Jess is out there writing about it. <laughs> but like, yeah. they didn't even do anything to them. Yep. They just added a hinge to the back. <laughs> like they just put two of like, them together with like a, with a door hinge and that's it. You got to look, read the story and look at the gif of this dude opening this monitor. It is incredible. Like, I don't know how to describe this to you. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's stacked as, as the, the, the video says. I mean, just the, he's got a, he's got a big, you know, Top Gun mustache. He's got long hair and he's just grinning at unfolding this monitor. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah. Nothing says it's time to go to work, it, like unfolding it's, well, your it's, monitor. It's, it's crowdfunded. I don't, I don't care what you say. It's crowdfunded, <laughs> so you might be better off just go buy I'm, two. I'm crowdfunding the whole thing. What's the goal? Is it $10? I'll give it to him. <laughs> but it's incredible. I love it. That's great. All right, David, last one. I need you to explain to me what's going on in sports streaming. Because it sounds like we have to care about Peacock now. Disclosure, uh, NBC Universal's investor in Fox Media. But I feel like I just said we have to pay attention to Peacock now. You should understand the the tenor of that relationship. Go ahead, David. We also made a show for Netflix, but that's not important to this particular discussion. Uh, Yes. My very good friend and co-founder works at Google. What more do you want from me? (laughs) 
Uh, most of you should stop listening now because this explanation <laughs> takes four and a half hours. Uh, basically, the Big Ten, which is a big sports, college with many more than ten property 10 mostly. Teams in it uh, now. <laughs> yeah, there's like 35 teams in the bit. Like half of college teams in America are somehow in the Big Ten now. Uh, but basically, they signed this big new deal for their streaming rights. It was eight billion dollars over the next seven years, and. Uh, these are the moments where basically all of these leagues and conferences and whoever get to decide like what we want the future to look like. So like, I personally care a lot about these because they decide a lot about what the near future of television is going to look like. And the big 10 picked like a real sucky way to do it. As far as I'm concerned for the future, they basically, they, they divvied games up between NBC, CBS, and Fox. Some of them will stream. Some of them won't. It's Total chaos. What's going to be where? There's also the Big Ten Network, which will have some games. Peacock just <laughs> randomly gets eight games that aren't going to be anywhere else. Like, this is just not... Are they going to make an app? This is just not a good system. Uh, and it's like... Like an app to just... No, the Big Ten. Who? The Big Ten. This is the problem. The Who's going to make an app? There's, there's just need one app need for the Big 12 Ten. 12 apps. The Big Ten... So the Big Ten has the yeah. Big Ten Network, and that will have some games. You would think that if you got the Big Ten Network and paid what it costs no. that you would be able to watch all the big 10 games on the big 10 network. You'd be wrong uh, because this is the world that we live in. And then it's like, we're just, we're just in this place where sports dictate how all of this stuff works because that's where all the money is. And the big 10 at least is still making this gigantic bet that cable TV is going to keep mattering for a long time, which is very funny because the other thing that also happened today was there was a study released that said streaming more people watched streaming TV than watched linear TV for the first time ever. So like this is this is a, a a thing running against the actual trend of where the world is going, but there's still a lot of money in selling your stuff to well, don't worry. NBC's ATSC broadcast channel. So here we are. It's coming. It's gonna change oh everything. Streaming is streaming, you're looking down a barrel. <laughs> it's almost over. <laughs> I feel like the phrase you're looking down a barrel is less threatening than the actual cliche. What is the actual cliche? Like, no, it's not. What it's is it? The barrel of a gun. <laughs> Yeah, you're looking like just a like. Oh yeah, someone looking at a barrel is not inherently. I was thinking. I was thinking of the gun when I said it. I just didn't want to. You know, I'm economy yeah. of words. Oh look, a barrel. <laughs> you're looking at a barrel. <laughs> they, well, they're not. They're not. They're not winning at broadcast television if they're looking at a barrel. They're too busy. That's true. They're very busy. If you don't get your shit together, you'll be looking at a barrel. I mean. In a way, it works. <laughs> That's how I start all my threats down. That's yeah, intense. <laughs> I'm <gonna be> fine. <laughs> That's it. All right. We'll come back uh, next week. We'll do a full hour on Firewire 800. What happens next? It also looked at a barrel. In ATSC 3.0. <laughs> it did look at a barrel. <laughs> it got all the way in the barrel. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's the Vergecast, the Wednesday show this week. Uh, really fun earbuds test. I will say we got an email about the earbuds test, David. The email was titled Jaybird's Erasure, um, which was not an email about the band Erasure uh, on Jaybird headphones. Um, so you got to take care of that. Neil, can I tell you there's a reason for that? It's because I forgot that oh Jaybird's exists as a company. Um, Jaybirds has not made a pair of headphones in like three years. Uh, but I used to love my Jaybirds and, uh, we will, we will bring Jaybirds back. One. Right it's with Firewire. I'm ready. Um, and broadcast television. Uh, that was really fun. Uh, David and I talked about the F-150 Lightning. What was the third thing? I should probably just scroll up and read it. Uh, we answered a bunch of people's questions about Galaxy oh, phones. I, it was good stuff. 
I love taking the calls. What's the number to call and us? Green Bubbles. 866-VERGE-11. It is absolutely my favorite thing about the Vergecast. Uh, like, I love both of you, but it's way more fun talking to the people who call the hotline. So 866-VERGE-11. Call us. Ask Very us good. all your questions. Uh, a bunch of stories on the site. Uh, James Vincent has a, a big scoop about Crypto.com laying off people and then quietly laying off hundreds of more people. Uh, Justine, actually a bunch of crypto stuff. Justine has a story about uh, carbon offsets for crypto. Then we've got a big feature we didn't talk about much. Uh, about how archive of our own turned into this like fan fiction mega site. It's great. I love it. Uh, so go check out the site. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. David's at Pierce. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. That's it. That's for chest. Rock and roll. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.